Praise the Lord again, saints. Amen. Let's offer up a word of prayer. Precious Lord, we just thank you once again for another beautiful day, Lord, that you have blessed us to see. And even now, Lord, we're thankful for you and what you continue to do in your in our lives. Lord, we're thankful that you are God and that you are God alone. And Lord, we're thankful that even now, Lord, that we could come together as a family and that, Lord, that we could hear your living word on today. Lord, you tell us that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So we're thankful, Lord, that in your word that you have given us life on today. So, Lord, we pray that even now that um, as we prepare to hear your message on today, Lord, that it not be my thoughts or my opinions or my desires or my wants, but let it be nothing but your word, nothing but your truth. So we give your name all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. And we pray, precious Lord, that as your word goes out, Lord, that we would take heed so that we not just be hearers of your word, that we likewise be doers. In Jesus' name, amen. So if I could direct your attention to, once again, the book of Acts, the eighth chapter. We'll be coming from the first eight verses. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. And I'll be taking, if I may, for a topic on today, displaced but not misplaced. The call for evangelism. Displaced but not misplaced. The call for evangelism. Acts chapter 8 verses 1 through 8 and it reads as follows Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death and on that day a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him but Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city, displaced but not misplaced. The call for evangelism. As we have uh, looked at our scripture on today and oftentimes when we read the scripture it's often the time for us to call and reflect upon our lives and in life many of us 
find ourselves often evaluating where we are. We look at our accomplishments, we look at our failures, we look at our status, we look at our position. And then we often wonder if we are where we should be, if we are reaching our full potential. In the world, things are often viewed with the black and the white, so that if we're doing well, if we live in a fine home, if we are living in a nice neighborhood, uh, you're doing well. Uh, if you have a great title with a famous company or you have the privilege to own your own business and you have a bank account that has six, seven figures, even more, well then you must be doing well. If you have nice possessions, expensive clothes, if you're the envy of those in your circle, your family, or your community, then you must be doing well. You must be in the right place. But then on the flip side, if we find ourselves that we don't have a great big house in a fancy neighborhood, we find ourselves living from paycheck to paycheck, we don't have a great big title, we don't own our own business, and we don't work for the next great big startup company, then we must have done something wrong. In other words, we must be in the wrong place. But the danger in that thinking is that we often apply it to the word of God. So that if I fit in column A, then I'm blessed and highly favored and I'm in the right place. But then if I fall in column B, then I must have missed a mark and I must be in the wrong place. But we see in God's word time and time again that he often does things that are contradictory to the natural thinking of the world and the common mindset of man, all for his glory. Amen. So when we look at the scripture and we see time and time again from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelations, that we can see that no matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, no matter our social status or our position, or even our current surroundings, that God can do things for his glory if trust is put in him. So when we come to the book of Acts, we will see uh, three main points that will combine to one greater point. First, we will see how God used uncomfortable situations. And then we will see how he used people who some deemed as unqualified. And then we will see how he used those two to minister to a community that some called unworthy. And then when we look at how he did all those three things, we will see that in doing those three things together, that he brought the joy and the hope and the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ to that community. When we look at the book of Acts, we, 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 we see so many great and rich things that the Lord has done. The book of Acts was, uh, is attributed to Luke, the same Luke who gave us the gospel according to Luke. And it was, it, it, it was originally addressed, as, as Brother Rick read, to an individual named Theophilus. But we see that it clearly is intended for all of us believers today. It records the events after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It shows the work of the Holy Spirit through willing vessels and saving souls and adding to the church by the preaching and teaching of the good news.
it gives us both a practical application of the redemptive work of Christ, and then it also gives us demonstration of how the gospel spread from a small group of individuals into what we have today, a worldwide phenomenon. When we look at all of that, we look at us here at Congress Heights Community Church, and we may say that we are small in number, and maybe we can't do the things that the CHBCs or the ARCs or any other large congregation can do, but when we look at the book of Acts, we'll see how God used a small group of individuals to do a mighty work in the land. Amen. So we, that brings us to our first point. God uses uncomfortable situations. Right off the bat, the disciples were challenged with something that was very uncomfortable. In the first chapter, Rick, Rick read the first eight verses. And then in the next two verses, we will see that their master, their teacher, the one who had been walking and, and teaching them, who had been walking beside them, he was leaving them. He was going to be taken up. He was going to ascend. And But we see also that he promised that he was not going to leave them alone. Acts 1, 9 says, after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on a cloud, receiving him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently in the sky. But then if we go one verse up, Acts 1 and 8, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So even though he was leaving them physically, he was not leaving them ill-equipped. But I can imagine the, the, the feelings the disciples, the apostles may have been feeling that you have this great teacher who is showing you and teaching you all things and you could constantly ask him questions and lean on him and then now in an instant he's gone he says, guess what? It's up to you. It reminds me of when we were little and our parents would teach us certain life skills and they would show us that if you wash the dishes this way or if you clean the house this way or, 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 or if you straighten up your room this way, then you're doing a good job. And the first couple of times, they would do it for us and expect us to watch and take notes. But then the next time they say, okay, you do it. And I expect you to do it like I showed you. Because if you don't do it like I showed you, guess what? You didn't do it the right way. So now we have the apostles. Once again, that same teacher is, it has left them. But now they have that same expectation that they are to do it the same way that the teacher taught them. But thank God that he gave them that spirit of promise, the third person of the Trinity, who is going to be their advocate in the Father's name. So even though their teacher left them and they were in an uncomfortable situation, they still had assurance that God was with them because he left them the Holy Spirit. But then we see that as the church began to move and operate and do things in the name of Christ, that once again, they were still in uncomfortable situations. We see in the book of Acts in the second chapter as 
they had gathered together and they had went to the upper room and that they had prayed for the Holy Spirit to come upon them and they said that they came out speaking in 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 in, in tongues and and oftentimes that is such a, a contentious topic when we talk about speaking in tongues but when we look at Acts the second chapter this was not some unknown language that they were speaking they were speaking languages that were known to other cultural groups so so there were there were there were there were people that were speaking languages known to other and, and it was such a phenomenon that they were being mocked and said people came and said look these people must be drunk so once again their teacher had left them next thing you know they're being mocked but the disciples the apostles they still pressed on peter and john went about preaching and teaching the word of God. We see that at the gate, they came to the, the, the beggar at the gate and they healed him from his sickness. And we see that even in then they, once again, Peter gave a, 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 a very pointed uh, a teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then guess what? They got thrown in jail for it. Acts 4, 1 through 4 says that after uh, after, as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple guard, the Sadducees came up to them being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming Jesus, the res in Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. So they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day. So the teacher leaves them. They're being laughed at. They're being thrown in jail but they're still persevering. Some of us, all it takes is for people to laugh at us and we'll stop doing what we should be doing. But we see the apostles pressing on. But here comes one great big uncomfortable situation. Acts chapter seven gives us the details of Stephen. Stephen was one of the seven called to minister to the needs of the of the women for the distribution of bread the 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 uh the, the greek-speaking women the greek-speaking jewish women and the the hebrew-speaking jewish women stephen went preaching teaching the gospel and they lay hands on stephen and they don't stop there but they stone him to death only for speaking the truth and if you have the time to read acts the seventh chapter when you want to talk about someone making it plain and telling you all about yourself just hear what stephen had to say to the masses he told them all about themselves from from the very beginning of of, of history from from adam to abraham to where they are now and how they had been disobedient and because they not, did not want to hear the truth of the of the word of God and because they did not want to accept that the Jesus Christ that they had crucified that that he was the savior that he was the son of God they killed Stephen for his words uncomfortable situations I don't know about you but I can imagine if we're out on a block and somebody drops 
that's a fearful situation. That's that might be enough to say, you know what, I'm not going to step out and 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 and, and uh, uh, be on the block anymore. And then it didn't stop there. After Stephen's death, we see the persecution of the church continued. In Acts chapter uh, 8, verse 3, we saw how Saul ravaged the church and started throwing both men and women into prison. And the church then was scattered throughout Judea and throughout Samaria. So their teacher, he was no longer walking beside them. They were being mocked. They were being thrown in jail. One of their brothers got killed. And then men and women started being thrown in jail. And then the next thing you know, the church was scattered. But we see that even though the church had been scattered, that it did not absolve them of their responsibility to do the word of God. Even more so, they continue to do the word of God by preaching the word of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 8 verse 4 says, Therefore those who had been scattered, they went about preaching the word of God. So here we have so many uncomfortable situations. Jesus taken away, but the church still doing the word of God. Once again, another uncomfortable situation. The church is being mocked, but they still are doing the word of God. Here comes another uncomfortable situation. Stephen is killed. He is martyred, but they still keep doing the word of God. Here comes another uncomfortable situation. The men and women are being thrown in jail. Saul is wreaking havoc on the church, but they still keep doing the word of God. Here we have another uncomfortable situation. The church is scattered through Judea and Samaria. Maria. They're leaving Jerusalem except for the apostles. But guess what? The church is still doing the word of God. So we see him using uncomfortable situations. And then we, trans then we continue to go on and we see how he uses unqualified people. The thing that stuck in my mind when the church was scattered in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, all except the apostles left Jerusalem. Now, in my mind, I'm, I, I'm thinking that, okay, if, if the church is going to scatter and they're going to be about preaching uh, uh, the word of God to, to all these other communities, it should be the apostles to do it, right? Because they, they're the ones that sat under the direct teaching of Jesus Christ. They could lay out the foundation. They, they, they could, they, they could, uh, 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 they, they can be the ones that set up shop because they have that experience. But we see that, that, that the apostles, they stayed home based Jerusalem, but everyone else went out. So he was not looking for position or title, but he was using a willing church. But then even when I look at the apostles, so many times we uh, put such great uh, status on their names. Well, that's, that, was, that was Peter. You know, he walked with Jesus. That was, that was John, he walked with Jesus. But when we 
look at Acts 4.13, we even see that they were regular people just like you and I. After they had made their defense, Peter and John, when they had been taken uh, by the Sanhedrin, and they had made their defense, the word tells us that the crowd observed the confidence of Peter and John. And they understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. They were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. So it wasn't because of their training. It wasn't because of their education. It wasn't because of their skill set. But it was because they, they had been with Jesus Christ. So we see right off the top with the apostles that once again how God uses a people that a culture would deem unqualified. But then when we bring it home to, to Philip, Philip was once again one of the seven. He was chosen uh, for the distribution of grain in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. It says, now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve the tables. So therefore, let us select men from among you, seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, who we, who we may put in charge of this task. But we would devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. So Philip, history tells us that he was a Grecian Jew who was used to settle the dispute, distribute bread between the, the Grecian Jewish women and the, the native Jewish women. And one thing when you think about uh, Jewish culture in that time, those that were called Grecian Jews because they took the language of the, uh, of, of the Greeks, they were viewed as less than than those that spoke the original Hebrew. So we have a brother here who being a Grecian Jew was viewed as less than by the masses, but still he's being used to do a great service in the work of the Lord. It says that the only qualifications was that they were full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. Now what's awesome about that is that when we look at us, those are two things that we as the church aspire to have. We should continue to grow in wisdom and because we are, are because we have uh, taken on Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we should be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we see that Philip 
was one of the ones who was distributing uh, bread to the women. History says that this was the first account of the deacon in the church. But one thing that is awesome is that we see both with Stephen and now with Philip is that they did not allow their, their position to overtake the mission. See, here they are distri distributing bread. And so many times it's real easy when you're doing work in the church, we uh, take our position and we say that that's our mission. So we'll say that if I'm over the music ministry, my mission is just to make sure I pick good songs, make sure the praise team is up and popping, make sure that the sound is good and make sure that, 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 that the praise and worship goes great. If, if I'm over administration, uh, my mission is to make sure that all the, the administrative matters, all the office matters, all the paperwork, all those things are taken care of in the name of the church. Um, Philip and Stephen could have easily said, well, they said they wanted me to give out bread. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give out bread and I'm going to stay in my lane. But we can see that both Stephen and then Philip, they did not uh, allow that position to become their mission. But they saw that their mission was to do the Great Commission in Matthews 28. 19 and 20 and then and, and then reaffirmed in acts 1 through 8 that we are to go ye therefore and teach all nations we see stephen teaching and preaching the word of god we see philip being a witness and teaching the word of god and not only do we see this we see that philip is also preaching to a group called the a, a city called samaria bringing to, to bring into fulfillment the prophecy that Jesus gave in one, uh, Acts 1 through 8, that you will be my witnesses first in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria. We see Philip taking the word of God, fulfilling the prophecy of Jesus Christ. Now, we see uh, how he used uncomfortable situations. And then we see how he used people deemed unqualified. But now he is using that uncomfortable situation and people deemed unqualified to give hope to a people deemed unloved. All of us may know our church history. Samaria was despised by the Jews. The archaeological study Bible says that Samaritans were a mixed blood race resulting from the intermarriage of Israelites left behind when the people of the northern kingdom were exiled and Gentiles brought into the and, and, and with Gentiles brought into the land by the Assyrians. And what's crazy is that we still see prejudice like this today. We see it in our very own communities when uh, children of, of, of white and black parents or, 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 or uh, white and uh, Hispanic parents or Asian and black parents, oftentimes they're not accepted by their community because of their, their, their parental heritage. And it's crazy when you think about it because the children had no choice in who their parents were. 
they had no choice to be a uh, 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 Samaritan and Israelite or, or black and white or, or Asian and Hispanic. But we see that even though they had no choice, that, they are, that we still see prejudice like this today. The Samaritans were viewed as an unclean people. We remember in the book of John, the fourth chapter, how Jesus went to Samaria and he ministered to the woman at the well. Once again, someone deemed unlovable and unworthy. Here he is preparing the way even for Philip to teach and preach to the people. So when we look at how uh, God used Philip in Samaria to teach to a people that were despised, we can see that it was not through respect of person because once again, Philip and himself he wasn't anything great or special. We can see that it even wasn't in prejudice or respect of person with the people. Because once again, that they were deemed unlovable and unworthy. But we see once again how the power of God, how the word of God was given through Philip to these people so that they can see that there is hope and that the same Jesus Christ that came and spoke in their town earlier is the same Jesus Christ who had, who had done the work and he was now offering them the gift, the beautiful gift of life, the beautiful gift of salvation. So God uses uncomfortable situations. He uses unqualified people to minister to an unloved people. So when we look at what it is to be displaced, the dictionary says to be removed from the usual or proper place, to expel or force to flee from a homeland. And then when we look at the definition of misplaced, it means to be put in the wrong or inappropriate place. So when we look at uh, the situations and the circumstances that the church had to go through, persecution, martyrdom, being scattered. Yes, they were being expelled from their homeland, but they weren't in the wrong place. They were right where God needed them to be used for his glory. When we look at the people that he used, ignorant and untrained men, Grecian Jews, people that, that didn't have the education that, that, the, uh, 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 that, that was afforded at the time. Yes, they may, have not, they may not have been in the place that we deem proper, but they weren't out of place. They were right where God needed them to be, to be used for his glory. And so then when we look at the people that, 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 that the message was brought to the, the people of Samaria, once again, people may say, well, they were in the wrong place, but they weren't in the wrong place. They were once again in the right place to receive what God 
had for them through the saving power that is in the gospel. And they said that when all of these these three things came together, that uh, uh, that there was great joy in the city. Acts chapter eight verse six, six says that the crowd gave attention to what they heard. They were giving attention to what was said by Philip. They heard the sign. They heard and saw the signs which he was performing. They saw that many unclean spirits came out. They saw that people who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was much rejoicing in the city. So many times when we when we look at that scripture, we we attribute the rejoicing to the works that was done, the healing, the miracles. But we know that those things were only signs of of what was what was preceded before. That that there is power, that there is truth, that there is hope, that there is love, that there is deliverance, that there are all of these things in Jesus Christ. See, oftentimes we get a little tense when we start looking at the signs and the wonders. We had a great discussion on evangelism at Brother Rick's house on yesterday, and one of the things we talked about was the signs and the wonders. Are those things still for today? Are those things go away with the, the, uh, apostolic, uh, with the apostolic ministry? There are men with greater degrees and greater education and greater study that can probably answer the question a lot better than I could. But one thing that I do understand is that there is no greater miracle that we even continue to see today that when we see someone who is dead in their sins become alive through Jesus Christ. Justice Holcomb writes it like this. While there were works, including signs and wonders done by the early spirit's power, they weren't the limit to the miraculous deeds. Instead, they also included the mystery of us, the Gentiles, being included into one new people of God. God's miraculous works in the church include the forgiveness of sins and the inclusion of those formerly far, far off into God's one new people. Yes, healing signs and wonders are extraordinary, but guess what? They are no more extraordinary than the redemption that is accomplished through Christ Jesus our Lord. So even if we don't frequently see extraordinary miraculous works, we know that God is still active because he is active in the process that we see each and every day. He is miraculously calling people to himself as the church grows and expands. He is active in miraculous ways among people who don't know the world. Well, then what does the word of God say? We read it and we studied it last week in Ephesians 2. As for you who were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the, of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, it is the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and our and our falling into our desires. Like the rest, we were nature deserve, we were we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of what his great love for us 
God who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. That is the hope that Philip brought to Samaria, and that is the hope that Jesus is giving us now. That is the hope that he is even giving the Congress Heights area. That is the hope that he wants us to give in Ward 8, that it's not in what we have or not what we don't have. It's not in our own educational or the lack thereof, but the hope that we have is in Jesus Christ who can make us alive when we are dead in the transgressions and sins. And so then when we see and recognize that as the true miracle working power that is still active, we can look at each and one of us and we can say that guess what? That we are a sign of that miraculous working power. Because what does the next verse say in Ephesians 2.10? We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So if you're asked the question, well, what about the miracles and signs? Does God still do miracles and signs? You can say, yes, he does still do miracles and signs because guess what? You're looking at a sign of his miraculous working power. I was dead in my sins. I was doing things that were contrary to the word of God. I was doing things that brought shame to, to myself, shame to me as being an image bearer of God. But God God saw fit by his loving grace and by his tender mercies that he would that he would lift me up from the death of my sins, that he would take me out of the death of my transgressions. And through grace by faith alone, I can have assurance that Jesus Christ is my Lord. He's my Savior. And he's done a miracle in my life. So even though at one time someone said I wasn't, I wasn't qualified, God, through his grace and mercy, qualified me through his redemptive work. Even though they say I'm not where I should be, even though they say I don't have this and I don't have that, I can look at the word of God and say it does not matter what the titles and the labels that the world place upon me. But the only thing that matters is what the word of God tells me what I am. I am God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So if you believe in this and you have already received Christ Jesus as the Lord and Savior, you just need to keep on keeping on. You just need to keep on focusing on the word of God and continue to realize that 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 uh, uh, despite what the world may say about where you live or how you look or your background or who your parents are, what you have or what you don't have, the most important thing that you have is greater than all of those things, and that's Jesus Christ. But if you have not received Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we see that in this word that he wants you, he's calling you, he says, you don't have to be dead in your transgressions and sins. He says, you don't have to live as you used to live. You don't have to be, uh, you, you don't have to be a, ch a child of wrath any longer. But because of my great love for you, because I am rich in mer mercy, I can make you alive. I can take you out of death 
and bring you into the newness of life. Because it is by grace, through faith, you can be saved. Let us pray. Precious Lord, we just give your name all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. Lord, we thank you that for, for you calling us from death to life. We're thankful, Lord, that we are your handiwork. And we're thankful, Lord, that you, it's not because of us, not because of our works, not because of who we are, but it's all because of you and your wonder-working power that we can stand with assurance today and say, yes, we have crossed from the death of our sins to, to being made alive in Christ. And we're thankful, Lord, for your sacrifice for us, Lord, for you taking the shame, for you becoming a sacrifice on the cross and giving us the hope that is in salvation, the hope that is in redemption. So we pray even now, Lord, that we continue to not just be a hero of this word, but Lord, that we would take this word and hide it in our heart. Lord, that we might not sin against you. And for those that may be, be listening in and have not received you as Lord and Savior, we thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit, Lord, speaking unto them. Continue to draw and woo them, Lord. And we pray, precious Lord, that once again, that you tell us in your word that one may plant, another may water, but it's you that gives the increase. So we're thankful even now, Lord, that we can recognize that one, we are not misplaced, but we're right where we should be. And we're thankful, Lord, for you using us to be evangelists in Congress Heights, Mississippi Avenue, Wheeler Road, all up and down, Ward 8, Lord. We're giving them all the praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.